Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show Classic. That's right, it's a classic episode. Remember when we used to do these? Remember when we were supposed to do a bunch of them? Remember when they all when they all had to do with Denzel Washington? When we made it Denzel month for some reason, did like four of them, and then we just stopped. Well, we're back, baby. For some reason. I mean, you know, I don't know that we ever came, like we kept. I don't think we ever came up with like a definitive reason other than he rules. You know, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. It wasn't even like welcome to Den's Timber. You know. <laughs> Yikes! Oh, Maybe we should make December Denzember. Denzember. Yeah, keep workshopping that. I'm gonna keep <laughs> workshopping which. Else. Which On month we can else. turn into Denzuary. Denzuary. Oh, no. <laughs> and that'll just be a month where we do like all of our backlog classic episodes and they are all Denzel Washington movies. <laughs> it's going to be great. We'll talk about Philadelphia. We'll talk about Man on Fire. <laughs> Every other Tony Deja Scott vu. one we haven't done yet. Deja vu <laughs> fucking rules. I will brook no criticism. <laughs> Jeez, all right. I just Jumped feel like I feel like you said deja vu because you don't like it. <laughs> no, I, I like it. I probably like some other Tony Scott more though. Wanna, it's been a while though. We actually can't talk about deja vu because that's another movie where I'm going to have to start shouting about white militia <laughs> movements in America. God damn it! Uh, that's uh, a joke yeah. related to us talking about in the shadow of the moon, <laughs> which we just did last night. So if we're a little punchy and sound a little more used to each other than we usually do, it's because we're not coming off of a week-long break where we haven't had to talk to one another. Exactly. We're here today to talk about a classic film, Harold and Maude, from director Hal Ashby from 1971. Before we do that, all the usual stuff. I didn't, did we, we didn't even, we didn't even do the, uh, the whole introduction where I say I am Brian J. Rowan, joined by Michael Snydell. No, because you went right into Dense Timber. <laughs> Ed Bill Denzember. Denzember. <laughs> it's either Denzember or Denzebruary, right? Oh. Like, that's what it's got to be. Bill, end, end this. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> Look for our latest, our next Twitter poll. It'll be out tomorrow. And it'll be which month should be dedicated to Denzel Washington. Should it be Denzember or should it be Denzebruary? <laughs> Oh, good times. Washington Timber. <laughs> we could do Denstober, but my my fear is that that would in like get in the way of Hooptober. Denzuary, yeah. which is actually Hooptember. Denzuary. I think Denzuary is a good one. Anyway, we're going to be talking about Harold and Maude, uh, 1971, directed by Hal Ashby, written by Colin Higgins. Before we do that, usual stuff, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us, podcast, filmstage.com. 
I'll tell you that if you do email us and give us a uh, recommendation for a classic review, we'll probably do it because that's why we're doing this one. We will get to that email in a bit. After I say, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super cool Slack channel. Where you can also shout recommendations at us um, in between talking about, I don't know, bicycles, tattoos. What are some other random things that we've talked about? <laughs> Dieting advice? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also, don't forget, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. You have 30 days to check it out. After that point, it disappears forever. Not forever. But um, it kind of, that means that you have a constantly rotating selection of 30 films. A curated selection so that you can avoid the constant Frasier suck that happens on Netflix, where you're like, totally going to watch a movie right now. And instead, you're like, oh, wait. This is the one where they uh, try to throw a dinner party, and this time uh, Roz and Daphne are going to try to be the people in charge of it. Things go hilarious. It's not even your first time through. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) No. God, no. When I'm doing, like, stuff around the house, I just have Frasier on, you know? Because those multicam sitcoms, they're dialogue-based, you know? So it's like a radio play. (laughs) Anyway. You even know when to laugh. Yeah. They tell you. If you're not really paying attention, the laugh track comes on. You're like, oh, Niles, you cad. (laughs) Uh, Dafty just said something crazy again, and Marty just rolled his eyes. I wish they would just get married. (laughs) Spoiler alert. They do. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. What? (laughs) Spoilers for Frasier. Spoilers for like the ninth season of Frasier. We didn't even say who got married. Come on. Anyone who's seen like one episode of Frasier knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) The dad and the dog. (laughs) (laughs) We're having a time. Um, Anyway, what's new on movie? Yesterday, I talked about a Bread Factory part one for the sake of gold. And I mentioned how hilarious it would be if they did not ever publish the second part. My joke is no longer valid because the film of the day today is a Bread Factory part two. Walk with me a while. These are films by Patrick Wang. Michael Snydell had things to say about them yesterday. He also had things to say about Lords of Salem from Rob Zombie. We also have, just in time for October, a John Waters film, Cecil B. Demented. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to check that one out. Yep. You know, Stephen Dorff and Melanie Griffith and Maggie Gyllenhaal. And, you know, the Dorfs, they don't, they don't await Brad Dorf is a different Dorf. <gasps> yeah, oh, one no. of them is Dorf, and one of them is Dorf. Oh, this is this is ruining my day now. Brad okay. Dorf is the the doctor from Deadwood. Yeah, and it's Chucky, and a uh, bunch of stuff. Doctor from Deadwood. He's a doctor in Chucky. No, he's yeah. He <laughs> only ever plays a doctor in everything that Michael Snydell just <laughs> mentioned. And then Stephen Dorf is the the uh the second lead of the third season of true detective and frost deacon frost i didn't see that no deacon frost is blade oh, oh yes, yes yes that is also that's, that's true right, that's right yep yeah he's got a look in that <laughs> he's got a look in that he also uh was one of the first spokesmen for a vape pen how do you have that just at at hand? I don't know. Because I remember seeing... 
I remember seeing the commercial for like blue e-cigs mm-hmm. and Steven Dorff like standing on a beach going like, we're taking the power back. We can smoke mm-hmm. anywhere now. No, little Dorf- did he know. <laughs> he looks like a literal monument now, doesn't he? Is yeah, he, he looks he looks fucking great. <laughs> he was outstanding in the third season of True Detective, um, which was a very good season. I, I didn't watch it. <laughs> it was really good. Mahershala Ali was in it. It's, oh, God, like that whole. OK, so like the third season of True Detective is like a stern rebuke to everyone who like overanalyzed the first season of True Detective. Mm -hmm. all right that sounds that sounds more appealing yeah oh it's so good it's like like true detective got like a lot of shit for being like grimdark like macho male nonsense and the third season third season's like yeah you're right but that's only because like no one really knew what i was trying to say and it says it and it's really good and i liked it a lot anyway movie (laughs) you can get a free 30-day trial of movie uh, by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. We are here today to talk about Harold and Maude because this is a classic review. This will be full-on spoilerific from front to back, up, down, all around. So if you haven't seen the movie... Um, A-B-A-B. You sh- A-B. Yes. You should know that uh, we we probably won't like just launch into what the ending is right away. If you're looking for like basic thoughts, that will happen. But you can't get mad at us if we just suddenly shout the ending at some point. <laughs> it's not within your ability to be mad. Um, this is your warning. This is it's happening. Uh, the reason we're talking about this is we actually got an email from someone asking us to talk about this, and because we love our fans. Uh, we decided to do it. So Paloma Hernandez sent us a little, I almost just read this person's email (laughs) (laughs) because I had it there and I was just like, uh, Paloma Hernandez at blah, 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 at (laughs) blah.com. It's like, Oh God. Paloma Hernandez reached out to us. Uh, this will let you know how long ago it was. After listening to your podcast on Beale street, I had to suggest the following classic given that Brian is dead inside. Uh, I feel like this movie has the perfect mix of death, larceny, and love that he might enjoy. The film is Harold and Maude. It's a film from the 70s directed by Hal Ashby. I'd really like to hear your opinion on the film, its style, and how it has inspired other filmmakers like Wes Anderson. Uh, skipping forward a bit. another uh, Past a lot of really nice stuff about us and uh, this person's personal history with the movie. Another reason I would like to hear your opinion on this classic is because people don't really know much about it, and whenever I recommend it to men, they are usually turned off by the premise and seem to dislike it overall. But you are not like those rando dudes, so I'd love to hear some feedback on this classic movie from film connoisseurs like you all. Thanks, and congratulations on the show, Paloma. P.S. If Harold and Maude isn't your liking, please keep the Denzel theme going and do Man on Fire. (laughs) Does Paloma say Denzel Tember or Denzel February? She did. The, the email was sent in March. So Denzel. We agreed Arch? it's it's Washington Nary, right? Warsh. <laughs> anyway, so thank you, Paloma. Uh so sorry that it's taken us, I don't know, seven months almost to the day to get to this. We've been talking about it for a long time, but we've been quite busy. Uh, we are in the run up to the end of the year, hoping to knock out everyone that we still owe all of you fine folks. So uh, if you suddenly see a deluge of us talking about older movies, that's why. So here we are talking about Harold and Maude. 
uh, Michael Snydell, you are the only person who has seen this movie already. Yeah, no, I I uh, I saw this. This was actually one of my first um, when I was kind of getting into film, and there was definitely a time in my life where Wes Anderson was one of the biggest filmmakers for me, and I had heard him talk about this. So this was this is something I probably saw late high school. So it's been a long time. Um, do you want me to? go on a little spiel of like context do you want me to give brief thoughts what what do you what i'm are you curious for like you know right what now? your initial reaction was now watching it now what are your present reaction has it grown in your estimation diminished a little bit well it's it's kind of weird because it's uh it had kind of an interesting reaction i mean roger ebert infamously gave it <laughs> 1.5 stars yep. when it first came out uh can be at the new york times also hated it can be hates a lot of stuff but it's still <laughs> it's still notable um, I, and I, I, uh, didn't like it very much when I first saw it. Uh, I, I thought it was just kind of very slight and quirky in a way that put me off. And I don't think I recognized how much DNA is in everyone from Wes Anderson to Mike Mills to Noah Baumbach to just any, like Zach Braff. Low budget to mid budget indie, yeah. Like Zach Braff just like ste- like cribs wholesale from this movie. Like it's kind of remarkable. Cameron Crowe, how many scenes? Yeah, Cameron Crowe. Like the DNA is everywhere. But I think it's I think it's fascinating. I think Ashby's uh, Ashby's a guy. This is embarrassing. I confused Ashby with Bob Raffleson. I thought for some reason he did five easy pieces. He did not do five easy pieces, but he did do being there, <laughs> he did. which is which is uh, which is a good movie. And I'm, I'm very interested how it plays considering <laughs> it was uh, prescient uh, back in the 70s. And now it might be too on the nose. Being there is like um, my favorite movie of all time. It's just it's such it a really? delight to watch. Yeah, no, I, I remember I, in school, I remember I, I, I saw I didn't get a film degree, but that's one of the things I saw in one of the few film classes I ever took. Uh, other bizarre things. Colin Higgins wrote this as like a, a senior thesis. He had only planned this as like a stage play or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But uh, he wanted to direct it. The studio heads didn't want that. They wanted Hal Ashby. Who'd uh, come after the landlord and hadn't really started his career yet? But uh, other fun little things. So Colin Higgins ended up writing nine. He ended up directing nine to five. That's a big movie <laughs> that he ended up randomly doing. Uh, he also did Silver Streak, that Richard Pryor comedy, uh, the best little whorehouse in Texas. So just you know, big for all you dollyheads out there, yeah, <laughs> dolly rules. We're not. <laughs> Gonna say a bad word about Dolly. Um, and then finally, Cat Stevens is all over this movie. And apparently he was supposed to be Elton John. <laughs> and then he dropped out. So that is some brief context for it. And this is like it stands up in the 70s, it's on the AFI top hundred. And it doesn't do that much for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I will say, I just don't think Harold's interesting enough. 
right. And that's kind of my opening salvo. Damn. <laughs> All right, Bill Graham, what are your thoughts on Harold and Maude? Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, I had heard very little about this film. I knew that it starred an older lady and a younger man in maybe a romantic relationship, maybe in a weird relationship, certainly a friendship of some sort. Um, and yeah, you just never was really on my radar. I knew it was a quiet, slower film. Um, mods fucking hilarious and just a, a riot. Uh, but uh, Harold's uh, a bit of a stick in the mud, I would say, um, just to kind of keep the cliches going. Um, I don't know. This film is is fun. It's humorful, but it's very slight and very odd in a lot of different ways beyond just like the core relationship and everything else. Um, it's... I'm not sure how old Harold was in this film until he started driving, which shocked the shit out of me. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck? He's old enough to drive. So yeah. uh, Yeah. And apparently he's like 18 or something. So that's, that's news to me. I did not realize that. So mother's trying to marry him off. (laughs) I will. Yeah. That happens much later after he drives a fucking hearse home. So, you know, um yeah i i enjoyed this movie but you know it's also 90 minutes so there you go (laughs) oh my god there's the final word for bill (laughs) at the uh at the time of this film's release the actor who played um harold bud court was 23 he's in life aquatic and i think one more wes anderson film actually he plays the bond stooge right yes the bond company stooge who gets kidnapped yeah 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 (laughs) i need to go watch life aquatic right now uh we're gonna take a three-hour break and i'll be right back (laughs) and we're back so so yeah my thoughts on this movie i had never seen this movie before i'd heard a lot about it i had a teacher in high school tell me that i should watch it once i don't remember the context um (laughs) I don't think she was coming on to me. But oh, okay, I was about to ask if she was a female. Oh boy! It was one of those things where I was like, I love movies that like none of my friends watch. You know, older movies like I just like gone and rented like the seven VHS Seven Samurai or something from Blockbuster. I'm and, sure um, she was like, and what about older women? <laughs> she was like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She was like, uh, Harold Maude is. <laughs> <laughs> she was like Harold Maude is like, you ever heard of that? And I was like, no. And she's like, it's about like. Uh, a young guy who like falls in love with like an 80 year old woman. And I was like, that sounds weird. And then I never watched it. Um, not because it sounded weird. I said that in a good way. Like, wow, that sounds perfect. Like that's definitely one of those new Hollywood seventies movies that I need to wrap my brain around. And I just never watched it. Um, I of course heard it invoked a lot. Um, it surprised me in the email when this person said that no one seemed to have heard of it. I feel like it's a thing that gets brought up a lot, but I have to remember that we live in circles of film nerds. And so I'm sure that if I brought this up with all my normal friends, they would yeah. also not have heard of it. <laughs> so it, um, I can hear a lot of crickets right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what, so I saw it, I watched it. Uh, it's free on Amazon prime for anyone who's interested. I bought it. It was two bucks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good for you. Um, on Amazon prime. 
No. Okay. I was about to say, did you see it for free? But you were just like, fuck you, Amazon. I'm buying this. <laughs> I'm renting it anyways. Yeah. Like it's someone handing out credit. flowers at a peace rally and you're like, I'll take this flower, but I'm throwing $2 at you. So um, it's also on Criterion, which we should, I, I, I guess, mention. If- Criterion and Canopy, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, oh, Criterion yeah. Channel, the new streaming service from Criterion. Mm hmm. I want my damn charter member card, by the way. <laughs> I'm waiting for that shit. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so, yeah, I, I watched this movie. I I enjoyed much of it. I um, I think that this is one of those things where I feel as though I, I recognize so much of stuff that I saw before it that it becomes sort of like a John Carter you know, where you're like, oh, right. Yeah. Like this is all those movies that I like, but this is the thing that inspired them. I thought you said John Q. I just want to know that. Save it for February. <laughs> <laughs> what would Dens February be? It's like September and February. We just give him two months, but claim that they're one. Anyway. <laughs> We will be talking about John Q during Densbury. Um No, so so the, I I see you know a lot of stuff in this movie. I see the Cameron Crow. I see, haha, the Zach Braff. I see Wes Anderson definitely, and I also just see a lot of like staples of sixties and seventies cinema that I really like. You know, long open rooms where two people sit in a tableau and the windows are blown out. You know, things like that. Little aesthetic details that I really like. And I just think there's a lot of things that this movie can't control about a viewer seeing it for the first time in the year of our Lord 2016 that I can't hold against it, but that did affect me. And one of them is just seeing this young man and going, that's Bud fucking court. (laughs) Like his, he looks like a prematurely aged child now. But somehow he doesn't look right as a younger man either. He looks like a prematurely aged child in this movie. And I think I just had like this weird mental hang up of like Bud Court. I see Bud Court in that child's face, but he's also 23. And my brain just is like getting rid of him as I'm looking at him. It's like trying to reject him. There's a lot of his, you know, haircut pallid face wide eyes that reminds me especially weirdly of like tim burton characters and um you know the classic wes anderson like startled white dude yeah and um i i like i love being able to see a movie like this and going this is what a lot of people that i love have cribbed from but i can also see why they cribbed from it and didn't like straight up rip it off Because there are aspects to it that I found a little wanting. I think I like that Wes Anderson seems to love his damaged characters more. I like the Royal Tenenbaums is a movie filled with despicable people, but like you can feel his affection for them. And I feel like Harold and Maude, the movie is more fascinated and beguiled with them than it is actually like kind of on their side. And so it's not particularly interested in giving them a little more. There's one scene that sort of redeems that where Harold explains his fixation on staging his own suicide. 
And I yeah. kind of wish that we'd just gotten a little more of that other than these kind of like twee fun scenes of him and Maud doing random shit and, and kind of getting in trouble and, and exploring each other's spheres and ideas. But in general, it, it, I, I really liked this movie quite a bit. I, Brad, I just wanted to mention a, a fascinating footnote about the reviews at the time is many people <laughs> were put off by the dark humor in this and found it offensive. That's, <laughs> That's truly bizarre to me watching this these days because it's so – it's so – as you're saying, it's twee, but it's also tame in oh, yeah. its own way. It's, there's movies <laughs> from, from back in the day that you hear about and you think to yourself, oh, man, that must be like some crazy shit. And then you see it and you're like, I don't understand. <laughs> like were the 70s really so pure that this is what – what offended people i mean like i read roger ebert's review i read some other clips from other people and yeah they seem to be like you know ah my god like how can we make this funny (laughs) and i'm like i don't know like it's 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 pretty it's pretty fucking tame like you know they don't like they don't pull a corpse out of a coffin and dance with it spoiler alert if you came to this movie looking for that you know like he he stages these suicides and they're not even shocking to his own mother yeah. Which I found to be hilarious. Like the, the movie is ostensibly a comedy in many ways, but I did not laugh much except for whenever he found a new way to kill himself and his mom was just like, oh, God, Harold. <laughs> um, another big laugh moment for me is when his mother is filling out his computer dating survey for him. Yeah. And uh, she's just talking about <laughs> just like things that clearly are not at all what he is like as a person. Yeah, she answer like she even is just like, Oh, yeah, of course. And like, has sexual revolution gone too far? My God, yes, it has, of course. <laughs> yes. And then, like, towards the tail end of that sequence, she starts to answer poor Harold again. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay. So, and it's, it's clever writing like that that, like, kept me invested in this because there's a lot of stuff like that where she starts off thinking about Harold, really dips into her own self, and then comes back when it's like, were you happy as a child? She was like, oh, you were just the smilingest baby on earth. But um yeah I mean there's there it's the movie is almost more an artifact not for what it accomplished but for what it inspired others to accomplish. Yeah, it no I I think you're right and and I think as much as it's instructional to say like you know Wes took part of this and then added very much himself there's already people we mentioned uh zach braff you know who did take things wholesale and yeah. and miss the point and, and you know like i i think that there are just in terms of the formal choices in this that are are, are lovelier than i remembered are um m- maybe not restrained because you still have these two characters or at least one who's a kook, but still the the choices, whether you want to talk about just when people start going into monologues and things like that, those things worked better than I remembered. And once that it it, it does, you know, I, I think the way that this movie moves from gallows humor to something more sincere is is pretty impressive, mm-hmm. even as it wasn't something 
that I was actively like, this is a great movie, if that makes sense. Like, I think of something I, I, for a modern film that really bugged me. I, I, have either of you seen the Skeleton Twins? I have not, no. Mm, yes, I saw that. So so that's about, so that is about uh, Bill Hader's character is depressed and it begins the film trying to commit suicide. But he he has a fascination with death as well. And like that, that is a film I think very much failed the the transition from the uh, the cloying to something profound. And I I think that this movie, and I think it's to Ashby's credit, I think it's to John Alonzo's credit, the uh, photographer or cinematographer, um, that this movie doesn't push your buttons too much, if that makes sense. Like, there are some caper moments, but it really does know when to pull back. Um, and just as much knows to to find something deeper than, you know, as, you're, as you were saying, Brian, like why he mimed suicide or, or um, the close-up on uh, Ruth Gordon's hand. Which I, I guess would be a – it's weird to say a spoiler because it's never actually talked about, which I kind of love. Um, but like all of those things kind of make me almost want to overestimate this a little bit compared to some of the things it later influenced. Bill, any thoughts on what that uh, what Michael just said? Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that moment where – you see her, her, the writing on her hand, the, I guess the tattoo, um, was it a brand or a tattoo? What? those are tattoos, a, right? It's a number, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, no, it's it, just it, a number though, I believe, isn't it? But, but I mean, that that's obviously from a concentration camp. Yes. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's years old and the other guy is talking about, you know, we should go back and put the Germans on the other side of the fucking, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, so yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that moment because he recognizes it and he is startled by it, but she kind of plays it off, um, and doesn't mention it at all. And so, you know, it, it, maybe it doesn't necessarily tell you why she acts the way she does, but it certainly gives more background to her character in an interesting way beyond just telling you maybe she had something traumatic happen in her past. And so now she's a little crazy, right? Um, who knows if, if that would have been the same mod with or without that situation. Right. Um, and so, no, I, I enjoy that aspect and I enjoy a lot of the other more subtle aspects of this film. Um, you know, I I think one of my favorite scenes in this film, and granted, like I, you know, I obviously said I didn't love this movie, but um, when he gives her that button that he's made, and it says Harold loves Maud, um, <laughs> and she just throws it into the ocean, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And she's like, "Now I know where it is forever." And I was like, <laughs> "That's kind of fucking beautiful," like that kind of hurts my heart as well. I was like, wow, that's in a, in a one way that's really profound. And in a, another way, that's like 
not what you do with things that you cherish. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it's uh, that idea of if you hold on to something, you're gonna you're eventually gonna lose it, and you're not gonna know where it is, and it's gonna burn you up inside. But if you knowingly sure. cast it into the sea, <laughs> you're gonna be like, whatever happened? Oh, right, I cast it into the sea. It's in yeah. the sea. I know where it is. Like it's. It's it's one of these lines and one of these moments in this movie that is so resonant and effective that I think is is the reason that, you know, even though it was kind of poorly received when it first came out, it stuck around and people sought it out and sure. it has impacted so many people so profoundly. Well, one, another one of those lines I really like is I don't need the defense anymore. I embrace. Yeah. Which is, is kind of a, a another like quietly. Thing. I mean, I could see, I could totally see someone put it on their Tumblr or something. <laughs> Surrounded by sparkles and shit. <laughs> but but still, like, it, it's it's those things that I, I think this film just puts just enough of a halo around those moments without making them the entirety. Like, w- without labeling them as, you know, capital M moments. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so i but so then that that does bring me to like i kind of wonder what this movie would be if there wasn't a cat stevens song at every silent moment <laughs> <clears throat> i think that um, it kind of bothered me this time i feel as though it would it would bother me on a second watch too um I didn't mind it this time. It does. It did feel though, like one of those things that so many, there's so much in this movie that has been picked up by other people. And I definitely feel like Cameron Crowe, Wes Anderson are just like, all right, well, if there is an opportunity for, you know, a a late century pop song that kind of sounds folksy, I'm gonna put it in right here, you know? Sure. And, um, I it's it's just the fact that it's all Cat Stevens, a an artist that I don't particularly care for. <laughs> he is super folksy. Yeah. Um and I almost I I had to play the goddamn song at the beginning of this episode, but there was a part of it that was like, can I not think of anything else? Is there nothing that could be better? But it had to happen. I mean, it 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 really is like it's it's wound into the the soul of this movie and it it fits sure. so well like in the way that it's the Wes Anderson in the Royal Tenenbaums has those songs that like if you if you hear it playing, you're like, oh, right. This is when they're all in the tracksuits running with the uh, the dump truck, you know, or Sunday morning when yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow enters. Yeah. And they just they work so well. And oddly enough, the aesthetic of the movie is such that it's like, I don't know who they would have played if it wasn't Cat Stevens, given all like the the tweed and the beautiful overcoats that everyone's wearing and the scarves. You're just like, oh, man, yeah, it's got to be Cat. There is I, a certain like garishness to Cat that, that fits this movie as well. Like you were already talking about this '70s signature that that fits this aesthetic, and you know there is like a certain elegance and you know grandiosity to these '70s movies, but there's also just an an old fashionedness that that really puts it in a time capsule. And I think that's that's one of the that's okay. So one of the weirder, interesting things about this movie, because it would be very easy to say, like, the characters carried forward into the modern era and like, you know, the the use of music and even like the style and time of music and the kind of general tone. But what's weird is how much the fashion 
and the <laughs> the way that people look carried over too. Um, sure. Harold wears like a weird patterned shirt pant combo mm-hmm. that I was like, that looks like wallpaper. And then it just reminded me of of Garden State when he's <laughs> when he's wearing the the thing that the woman used to make yeah. like the drapes. Yes. And just other things from like Wes Anderson movies where it's like, oh, there's like the 70s tailored pants and the the great overcoat and the hat sure. and the uh the ascot. Like it's just it's it's so strange that like that's the level of minutia that people have come to pick from this movie. But I think that there is something you know, like it or not, you know, whatever you feel about the movie, there is something like elemental about almost every choice in this movie. Down to like the clothes that his suitors wear when they come to meet him at his mother's behest. Like one of them has like a garish purple sweater with like an ice cream sundae on the stomach. That's so bad. And I just was furious with that sweater. (laughs) But it's it's a piece of clothing that's going to be lodged in my brain like a splinter forever. You know, I have a daughter and children's clothing can be bad like it it can be like cheap made in an unincorporated territory in the middle of the pacific ocean like knockoff cotton with a weird iron-on patch of like a dog wearing a party hat and it's just ugly and terrible (laughs) and you're like why did someone buy this for my child and it was like that woman grew up and loved those so much that she had to like go out and find one of her own. And I was just like staring. I was like, why is it on her stomach? Why is this <laughs> happening to my eyes right now? And but again, like if I were a person making a movie, I would think about everything that that told me about that character and helped sure. to inform why I wasn't super appalled that uh, he pretended to immolate himself in front of her. And I'd be like, yeah, this is the type of stuff that works. This is like some elemental subconscious. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The thing, uh, the subliminal messaging that like helps to get my weirdness across. Because if this person is Square City, then I don't mind if Bud Court pretends to douse himself in gasoline and burn himself to death in front of her. I, I think that's why, especially that last one when he commits seppu, uh, seppuku, yeah, yeah. seppuku, yeah, commits seppuku, and that, that that person takes it as a as a time to do her own performance. Yeah, but but she as well has there's a there's a great distinction between all of those dates as well. It's it's not just the ice cream cone one, but that that last one she's in like almost like a oh, it's like a terrible. Like a, it's like a is it a would it be a jumper I, we need abby bender yeah. that's what we need. <laughs> well it, it's like a confetti color too like it it's got sure. like multicolored strands and threads where it's like purple red and blue and you're you just look at it and you're like am i supposed to cross my eyes and see something in 3d what's going on here <laughs> like like what is this outfit jesus christ um, but it screams the time period oh absolutely yeah <laughs> Well, I think, I, Brian, I, I I do want to go back to this idea of like as we're talking. I, I think that's a really good point that the mm-hmm. costume design and the production design has also translated. Like, and, and I think you're right. There is a certain, um, just as you said, uh, it's some liminal code. Like when Wes Anderson's characters are dressed in this certain way that makes them anachronistic or 
uh, just separates them as some type of a hipster for the time. Like it, it, it creates an entirely different mindset. And, and I think it's what, um, I think it's what also makes it so lasting and also so right for parody It mm-hmm. is like, but I, I think even Wes Anderson would, I, I'd love to hear him talk about the costume design in this. I bet <laughs> he would be over the moon talking about it. Well, and I think one of the things, <clears throat> and I read some reviews that were like, this Bud Court kid in this movie is like giving us nothing, you know, like he's, he's playing this kind of wide eyed, you know, speculative, just vacant hole at the center of this movie. But what's interesting, I think is that one of the reasons that I think Wes Anderson works for me more than this movie does is that he kind of grew to understand that the ticks and the, the weirdness of the production design and everything were so overwhelming that you really did need to underplay the characters in order to make them work so like while like the 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 army uncle with the 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 missing arm but the fun (laughs) the drawstring that lets him salute with his missing arm is amazing which is an interesting thing to do but he's just a little he's pitched a little too high you know and and maude is likewise just pitched a little too high and i think that bringing it down into these more somnambulant performances these kind of almost robotic stop motion performances that Wes Anderson goes for helps sure. to make the whole thing go down easier. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sure that Wes Anderson would be like furious with me for saying that he has surpassed <laughs> Harold and Maude. Um, but I, you know, I think that, I think that he has just translated this idea to a modern template that were, is more palatable. I think that he would probably see a lot of the things that we find alienating about Harold and Maude to be its strengths and things that maybe he just doesn't feel comfortable going out for or that they don't serve what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same well, time, I think that it makes the character connections clearer in his mm-hmm. movies because in this movie, I could feel the two characters interacting, but I could never feel like any tension between them as there seems like there should be like Harold sure. is death obsessed. Maude is life obsessed, but they never seem to really come to blows over that. And it, they seem to just be like two opposites who pair up really well. And it's not until the final <laughs> moments of the film that we really get that catalyzing catharsis that makes the movie work as well as it does. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'd I'd say uh, this is something I'm saying off the cuff, but I'm just thinking about this a little bit, is that like the characters of Harold and Maude are almost too comfortable in their freedom. Like and Wes Anderson's characters, I I would say almost universally, they're trying too hard. (laughs) Like and that's part of their character. Like I, I don't mean I don't mean that as a qualitative judgment, but rather that like the reason why there is that tension, the reason why there's a, a more complicated dynamic there is that like there's always in in essence in those characters of wanting to be someone else, of wanting to live a, another life, to have, you know, to find the one that got away or have that experience that could be seen as transcendence like Mm. there's there's such a reaching in in those films that i feel like is is i guess this goes back to your point brian but it's missing here like it's not just the tension between harold and maude it's 
any tension at all that exists other than in this like pattern of his life. Well, I mean, anytime you have a film where a character could be mistaken for a child ends up being around 18 is trying to be set up by his mother to have a bunch of dates and is basically just like free flowing lives in a house. That's just garishly large and like, okay, so he's doesn't work like ever, right? He doesn't have to earn money, but you never really see him like spend money either. He just like is. And I think that loses some of the propulsive force of some of these other characters in the Wes Anderson films, because even though maybe you don't see them actually work, you see them, their relationship to money, their relationship to wealth, their relationship to things and stuff like that. Um, they have kind of a connective tissue to, to that kind of world. Whereas Harold seems to just kind of float above it. And then Maude certainly, you don't see her do a whole lot of that stuff because she steals every fucking car that she can set her hands on. <laughs> um, so, you know, she's got a kind of ethereal uh, presence to her as well, where she just kind of floats and billows through this world. Um, so I think, I think that kind of gives his films, Wes Anderson's films a little bit more grounding because we can kind of understand that these are tryhards. You know, mm. they they they're schemers. They come up with ideas and they're trying to do things and they want to succeed and and all of this stuff. They have that kind of desire. Whereas Harold and Maude both are just like, nah, I just want to float. Well also you know? the their their interaction like everyone in this movie is a little bit heightened. Absolutely. In a in a it's so a lot of this movie weirdly reminded me of The Shining. Mm. Um, I think a lot of that has Go to do on. With, okay, so <laughs> definitely um, the the outfits and the style of hair, maybe. Right, I think that a lot of it is style, um, and the kind of garishness and emptiness of this house, and then um, weirdly, like a lot of the acting choices. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the adults or the 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 I don't know, like Harold's like eighteen, twenty or something, but like. A lot of the adults around him, the, the older generation who's trying to assert their will on him, reminded me of um, the guy that uh, Danny T- or that he that uh, not Danny Torrance. What's what's older Torrance's name? Just what's Jack Nicholson's name? Yeah, Jack Nicholson. We know who Johnny, Johnny Torrance. Oh yeah, because here's Johnny, uh, John Torrance. <laughs> um, yeah, he uh, when he first goes to the Overlook Hotel and talks to that man. Um, who's like, you know, this is like, you know, this is what it was built and this is why we need you. He has like a very weird kind of paternal movie style of talking. And I felt a lot of that Mm -hmm. from the characters in this. And I know that that is some of, some of it is how actors presented way back when, but also I think a lot of it is, is a conversation with like the person who you're, you're talking to the actor and you're directing them and you're like, I want you to put this forward. You know, I want you to have this kind of super square mid Atlantic kind of vibe to you. Well, I certainly think Kubrick is one of those directors that the choices that his character actors are, are taking or choosing more than likely did not just come about 
right? That's definitely something that he directed and he specifically asked for. And then sometimes uh, Harold's mother reminded me of uh, Shelley Duvall. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. There were, there were just choices that were made where I was like, I wonder if somewhere in the back of his head, Kubrick was like, I think a great way to alienate the audience is to make people feel weird is to do some of the Harold and Maude shit. Like, (laughs) and um, again, like I said, the, the way that, um, light comes through windows so that the windows are like blown out and you can't sure. see through them uh, a lot of that reminds me of like the the shining the, the windows in there it's um it was weird i i like found myself thinking about it a lot and i was like what the fuck is wrong with my brain like what i need to figure out what these connections are <laughs> and that's what i was able to come up with like the psychiatrist in this movie reminds me a lot of the the man who does the exposition at the beginning of the shining and um the clothes and and some of the uh, the everything else it's it's really weird it's like like i said i feel like this movie is going to infect the way that i see a lot of other movies now because i'm just going to see a lot of that in them sure but um one of the issues that i was that i was saying is that um everyone in this movie is pitched in that way and so it becomes hard to figure out what the real world is like how it how it responds to these people everything is just a little bit too cloistered off it's it's hard to figure out what the baseline for society is because like all the women that he meets are very strange and i can't figure out if that's because they've been matched with him via computer and so he's bound to pull some strange ones in or if the movie is like portraying the entire world as being this kind of heightened way and in wes anderson movies you can usually feel that a lot of the people off screen are are vaguely closer to normal Mm -hmm. um what the fuck is up with the woman that comes by for the date and it's like, yeah, I'm in a sorority and we all decided for a laugh we should do this dating thing and I drew the the short straw. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? You don't like what are you doing, lady? Like, like why, why would you-, you why would you offer that outright? Yeah. And again, she's the one with the, the 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 ice cream sweater. So who knows what's going on in her brain? <laughs> Maybe that was part of the dare. Jeez. Oh, um. But yeah, I think I think that there's a part of me that that it becomes difficult just to to vibe with the movie if I'm I'm trying to understand because like Harold's clearly a little weird. Maude is pretty out there, but I can't figure out if they're two two kooky peas in a in a far out pod that is like in squaresville or if the whole world is this crazy. And so they're just going to be that way too. Cause like I said, his uncle's nuts. His mom is nuts. The girls are all really weird. And then like they talk to a lot of cops in this movie and they seem pretty normal. Sure. You know, and that's weird. Cause you would think, I don't know why there's three beat cops right there sitting at that, at that area when they like pull up. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, that was like her getting one over on the cops was just outstanding. Um, it did bend my it's white privilege. <laughs> it didn't bend my uh, sense of reality when she hops on that uh, very heavy motorcycle, that police cruiser and <laughs> like just fucking takes off. And I was like, hold on. That's, that's a grown ass man. And you're an 80 year old woman. Like, I, I'm having a hard time 
kind of wrapping my head around this, but I mean, you know, some people are meant to be on a bike, I guess. And Maude is definitely meant to be on a bike. Yeah. The way she whips that hearse around is, is something <laughs> to see. <laughs> yeah. There, those cars are definitely like early drifting moments where you just see them kind of go just a, a tad bit sideways. And it's like, oh, they are they're really turning into these corners. Um, you know, those hearses are probably going to be very easy to, uh, to get the, the fishtail going and kind of kicking out <laughs> the back end because they're just going to be heavy in the back. But, but it's yeah. weird. Cause again, like we're talking about their, their interactions together and we're really focusing on their capers and their hijinks. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think, it, yeah. I think that that's what a lot of people who watch this movie is. But like, whenever I hear people talk about this movie, I very rarely hear them talk about like any sense of emotional catharsis. Or, or like message of the movie, mm-hmm. which is weird because that seems to be what the movie is going for. Sure, you know, with, with but it's when overshadowed. A person, when a person throws their their, what is it? It's a jaguar. They've turned into a hearse over a sea cliff, mm-hmm. and then yeah. walks into the sunset strumming a banjo. You 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 have to assume that you know. Oh, that's the movie making its point about its characters and how they've grown. But I don't feel that a lot in the way that the movie is working and and the way that it's kind of been brought out to the broader culture. So I feel like the movie almost succeeds in spite of itself in a lot of ways, just because there was so much other stuff that people were able to grab onto because the, the actual emotional message of the movie was kind of so muddled and, and not delivered quite as well as it should have been. It's, it's a little disappointing in that sense that the romance is, uh, it is kind of for shock and giggles a little bit. Like it, it, it like, you know, God they damn, do that, sleep to get, that, they do that, sleep together, but, but sorry, go ahead, Bill. That, that sequence where the, the priest is talking <laughs> about like them potentially having intercourse. And I was like, he's describing it in such a detail that it almost makes me feel, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. It makes me feel like maybe they're trying to send some kind of message about like that priest would much rather sleep with, with him than to ever think of well, I mean, I guess I okay, that's that's a that's a weird way to put it. But um yeah, it definitely seemed like the priest was uh, There was a weird homosexual tension. Oh there was. Yeah. But also <laughs> what was even weirder is is that he I felt that at first until I realized that all he said about Harold was like his young, like firm body. Yes. And then yeah. he went into explicit detail with how gross like an older woman exactly. is. Exactly. Sure. So exactly. It's almost like he's like, Look, you're a guy and I hate that, but you're young, which I like. Yeah, but she's no, a woman, but, uh, which I'd usually go for, but she's so old. Like if I had the but, choice between the two of you. <laughs> yes, but, but it was that's yeah. the thing. Like I, I would bring it back to what your teacher was saying, Brian. Like I would not describe this as a romance between a young man and an older woman. Like that is like ten percent of this movie, right? And and what's weird also is that I don't know how to define this movie by their relationship, despite the fact that the movie is entirely about their relationship. Yeah, that's, like, that's it's, interesting. It's, I can't say like, oh, it's a movie about a death-obsessed young man who learns to love life because of his time with this woman. Because she doesn't seem to impart anything on him until she kills herself. Mm-hmm. You know? And what, then he's what, like, what, yeah. he's like, you know, I love you. And she's like, good, do it again. But like, I just feel like it, 
it's if it's just about pure attraction, then they didn't have to have such divergent viewpoints. And, you know, it's it's almost like all he had to do was fall in love once and then he would realize that, like, oh, I can do this and I should try again. But, like, it didn't seem like it was grown from her, like, lust for life or something. It just seemed like, the, again, they were just weird enough for each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I, I think that's... I think that's pretty disappointing uh, the more I, I think about it. And I think you're right, though, that like uh, Bud Court just seems to to change in a way that seems, you know, he's still got his offbeat ways. But look, now he's playing a banjo. <laughs> like it's Right. You know, he still did like a suicide <laughs> thing. But, you know, it's 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 different. I, I like and it's weird because, again, this is a movie called Harold and Maude. Sure. You know, and Harold and Mater in most of the movie, if not all of it. Um, and it it is it is driven by their relationship. But it's just, you know, you can't say that, like, he's slowly changed throughout the course of the movie because his his predilections remain the same. Like every woman who comes over, he pretends to kill himself. Every sure. thing that happens, he still has the same outlook. And it's not until someone dies in front of him that he, like, kind of realizes how much he wants to keep going on. Now, clearly his affection for her plays into that. But I just wonder, like, if he had been in a car wreck and the passenger next to him had died, would that have done the same thing? But without the romance? Maybe but, he's uh, just in the men the, this whole time. It's possible. <laughs> I don't know. Here's a here's a fun thing I just realized. Tom Skerritt is the motorcycle yes. officer. <laughs> From that... Alien. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I, I have to ask, I mean, did you guys have any strong feelings about the suicide in general? Did, did it undermine or uh, cap the story in a way that you either of you found changed your opinion in any significant way? I liked I liked the way it was shot and edited. Um, I like the fact that his like screaming, what? Like came out of nowhere. It was like the strongest reaction he'd had to anything. And it cut so quickly to the siren of the ambulance that it almost seemed as though his what had birthed said siren. That's a nice sequence. Like just, yeah, it, I totally agree. And the editing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of saw it coming just cause she's like earlier in the movie was like, you know, 80 seems like a good time to go. But, um, sure. I was just a little shocked cause she said she was turning 80 next week. And I was like, so this movie's taking a course over like three months, right? <laughs> It just seems like a lot happens. <laughs> he turns a whole goddamn jaguar into a hearse. He doesn't really have a social life, Brian. It's also true, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I found it, I found it moving. I like that's another one of those scenes where I'm like, now they're hitting the emotional beats. It's like his story about burning down the, uh, the what's him call it, and um. But it just kind of sucks that, like, when I think about this movie, which should be all about their relationship, it's like those two moments. And weirdly enough, both of them are just purely a reflection of how he is feeling in that moment. And I almost feel like Maude doesn't really get anything out of this. Mm. Like, she gets a partner in crime, but she doesn't seem to be any more or less at peace with her decision to end her life because of him. And so I I kind of wish that they gave Maude a little more. I think she likes that he likes her. I think she's getting something out of that, like out of feeling like she says, yeah, like you make me feel so young. Like, even if it's 
Yeah, you know, you make uh, me feel like a schoolgirl. Yeah, even if it's you know shallow lust or something, like it, there's still some satisfaction there. It seems like. Yeah, but I, I, I see what I see what you're saying, Thanks. Brian. As, especially <laughs> as, <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> Bill. How about how about you? How about me? What? How about did the did you have any strong feelings about the the suicide scene? I enjoyed the reaction to it, and I enjoyed the fact that it followed up with it, and it definitely like it it made its impact. I mean, that's that's a five minute segment of like a ninety minute film, so it it definitely does a good job of of giving it the space. I think it's just it's so sudden. And it's so too little too late um, that I, I wish maybe the film had gotten to kind of its point a little bit sooner about their kind of relationship and their ro- potential romance and stuff like that. Um, but I think I think one thing that's interesting is he meets maybe the girl of his dreams. Like the actress lady is a little weird, <laughs> right? But she's weird just like he's weird. And it would seem like that would be such an obvious pairing. And he just kind of flat out is not interested in her, right? And I think that is to give us, here are his potential suitors. Granted, you know, as Bryson has mentioned, all of these women wear fucking weird-ass clothing and just kind of have odd personalities to begin with but also like they're on a cutting edge dating site like this is all weird shit right um and so i think we're supposed to see that he understands that he has that connection with this woman he can talk with her she challenges him in a lot of ways and intrigues him whereas these other potential suitors either a can't handle his humor at all, which also seems a little unfair because I don't think he ever like kills himself in, in front of Maud. So he never really tests those boundaries. <laughs> That's true. Um, but maybe it's the fact that he doesn't feel like he needs to, in order to feel like she's responding to him. Sure. Sure. So there's I, that. I, but yeah, <laughs> but also you make a very good point. Yeah. And so like they just <laughs> flat out freak out. And then the actress lady is like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm into this. Like, let let me give you a, a scene from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I thought they and hit it like, off pretty well. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, great, cool. This now, movie's over. I can and... come up with a bunch of non-textual reasons why he wouldn't have liked her. But it's also weird because I think maybe like, like, what if he did really like her, but his mom was like, fuck no, because the last thing I need is two of you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I... I I think like that's such an obvious pairing, right? And he just seems flat out uninterested in her. Um, And so in that way, he goes back to Maud and is kind of like, yeah, you're the one for me, you know? Um, And so he's, I I feel like that, that relationship is, is developed and it's not developed in ways that I wish it was. So I, I can be happy with the other ways that it is developed. Um, like I mentioned, but I think, I think I just wanted more time with them 
not doing crazy antics and see what their kind of internal relationship was um, without having these big grand gestures and, and crazy things going on. Um, I think another one of my favorite sequences is on that boardwalk again when um, she is at like the digital craps table, I guess, or something. I'm not sure what they're like playing um, but they definitely look like they're at a craps table, but like nobody's throwing dice. So I don't know what's going on there, but like she's, she's mixing it up with all those, those people, mostly dudes I noticed, but like, and, Men are drawn just, to mud. and, and just having a riot, right. They look like they're having a lot of fun and, and mm-hmm. she's kind of the center of attention in that, in that moment. Um, I wonder how many of their car keys she stole, but yeah. <laughs> It's for another podcast, right? <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I look at this movie and I think of I think of what his life is like post mod, and I see it reverting back to how it had been very quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, as you said, even on that boardwalk when he is with her, he is not with her because she is with other people. Mm-hmm. And and, so it, and he sees her interacting with them, and he even comments on that. He's like, "You have a way with people." And yeah, she says, like, "They're well, my species." Yeah, they're my species, and it's just like <laughs> that's that's so good. It's and I so get the nice. feeling that you know he would say, "Well, they're not mine." God damn it! Mm-hmm. I I love like her hissing at him during the funerals. I was just like, what the fuck is she doing? And then she gets right up next to him and then she hisses again. Like he didn't notice that she was there. I was just like, what are you doing, Maude? You are, you are driving me bananas right now. So yeah, that's a, I don't know. This, (laughs) this film is like, I, I, I love so many little bits and pieces of this film. Um, that it's, it's really shocking to me that I didn't love it as a whole, you know? Um, I, I just, it's a lot of, you know, not as, not like the sum of the parts doesn't equal up to more than the mm -hmm. whole is not more than the sum of the parts. Yeah. 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 That's, there is no synergy happening here. Correct. (laughs) They they don't just start revolving around each other and turn into a megazord. It's, um, (laughs) but it's weird because like. I would still say that like this is a seminal movie that people need to watch because Absolutely. it is a a kind of Rosetta Stone key for like so much of modern cinema. Yeah, your your reference to John Carter of Mars, I should add, yes. um, which is which is what that movie should have been fucking called. The William That's S. Burroughs so book, not the not yes. the the Disney movie. Yes, um, the fact that people watch that that movie and we're like oh this is just ripping off star wars and it's like no oh yeah okay well no because it's one of those things where it's like no star wars ripped this off you know exactly yeah no and but but because of the timing of it you watch it and all of a sudden you're like oh this was influenced by that right and this was influenced by that and so in john carter's case of mars's case um, it works the the opposite direction where people are like, oh, I've seen this before, right? And yeah. in this case, you watch it and you should hopefully start to pick up on the fact that, hey, this was made in 1971. And so, yeah, Wes Anderson and some of these other people are definitely heavily influenced by this submarine. Basically, the kid looks like the exact kid. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was difficult for me at times. I was like, oh, my God, I can't. Yeah. I loved Submarine. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that might just become one of those things where it's like a function of, yeah, you know, that kid's life is really weird and a lot of the characters in it are weird, but I also feel like the rest of the world around him mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's not as off as, as a uh, Harold. And also the kid in that movie is like in pr- not primary school, but like, you know, high school, mm-hmm. you know? And so I find Harold to be kind of difficult to pin down because he seems like a petulant 14 year old, but is in fact a, a almost full grown man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think there's one close up that I noticed. I think, I think it might've been when he's blowing bubbles in bed with Maud. uh, they show his chin and I can see facial hair. And I was like, ah, yeah, I was like, Oh, he's got like a three o'clock shadow. Yeah. I was like, what is going on in this movie? I don't understand. How is he 14? (laughs) But again, like, you know, it's one of those things where you're watching a movie and you're like, it's so weird because that's that young guy that I only know is like an older guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I always feel guilty about when I let that affect how I'm seeing a movie, because then I feel like I'm I'm one of the old people in the movie theaters that I go to sometimes. Well, I mean, my my best example was uh, my fiance, now fiance, then girlfriend. <laughs> uh, Good work, Bill. Yeah. Uh, Just imagine at some point you're going to be married and then you're going to have to learn a whole new title. I know. Uh, anyways, um, she, she had never seen the Godfather. And so I, I sat her down and was like, we need to watch this. Like this, this needs to happen. Um, and so we watched the first part of it and I was telling her, uh, the cast. Cause she was like, you know, quickly, like, like, tell me, tell me who's in this. And I was like, you'll, you'll recognize some faces for sure. And when Al Pacino shows up, I was like, do you recognize him? And she was like, no. And I was like, that's Al Pacino. And she was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, it is. And she was just like, "Uh uh-uh, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, yeah, I know. He looks a lot different. Um, Yeah. So, you know, definitely when you see people – a lot younger than what you kind of recognize or, or, you know, your brain starts to hurt. You're just like, I, I, I I only know you as X person, you know? Um, and, and then there's of course other people like, um, Morgan Freeman and, uh, Samuel L. Jackson who seem to have not aged at all. If anything, it seemed like in captain, uh, was that captain, universe what the fuck was that movie captain marvel um it seemed like it it seemed like maybe they they uh just let samuel l jackson like sleep for 10 hours a day for like two weeks and we're just like yeah now we're gonna put you on screen and you're gonna look 20 years younger right (laughs) and everybody was just like he does this works what the hell so um it's (laughs) i'm just thinking about thinking about this concept of like young people and old people and old people when they were young and like, I just keep thinking about Gemini Man, which is coming out soon, which apparently is getting really bad reviews right oh, now. Oh, I did not hear that. I That's... don't care. We're still doing it. We're yeah, still no, doing no, no, it. No, no. Clearly, yeah. we're doing it. It's yeah. it's, it's Ang Lee. It's, an Ang Lee. Yeah. it's Will Smith. It's fucking Clive Owen. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Ma- Mary Elizabeth Winstead, a, who a, is my Brie Larson? Okay, like the internet can have Brie Larson. I want you know. I stand so, for so Mary Elizabeth you go Winstead. on 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 that side of Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, your, your favorite movie ever? That's the fucking goddamn it. Um, yeah, 
So yeah, I I I uh, I'm I'm all about the ten Cloverfield Lane. I'm not all about room, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. My girl trapped in a bunker is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I mean, room kind of sucks, so that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> Whoa. Um. Anyway, so uh, so there's that. I keep thinking about that, and I keep someone today posted something online that I did not actually look at, but I saw their tweet, <laughs> and it was. It was like apparently um, Joe Carnahan, a director who I whom I love because he did The Gray, the gray. and so he will forever be my favorite guy. Um, he apparently made like a sizzle reel, which is when you like cut together a bunch of other movies to try to give the studio a concept of what you want your movie to feel like. Mm-hmm. And his sizzle reel for Gemini Man was apparently Clint Eastwood. And mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck yeah, because Clint Eastwood's like 90 goddamn years old. We have movies of him from 50 years ago where we can take his face and like both are iconic. And it's just weird because Will Smith, like people make jokes about it. He doesn't look that much different. The man has no. aged so beautifully. Yes. That it's it's hard to to think about. And, um, you know, it's weird because well, we'll talk about when that movie comes out, but it's not a motion capture performance. That's apparently like a full CG character they made. Yeah, it looks it too. It it does not look good. We we are in the age where filmmakers now are brave enough to think that they can fool an audience, and I don't know why because like I can we'll spot have to that see shit. how it looks on screen because like on my on my phone and on my computer I can't really tell a difference, but I'm curious if it doesn't play I've, well. I, I've seen it up on the on the big screen on the theaters a couple of times. Uh, the trailer is it time for trailer it, corner. Uh, it's i i am not into the way that it looks it looks i don't know but i mean all of this stuff if it it just sucks because half of half of movie magic is not knowing how something is done right like that that was the trick of yeah god we were really going off into a tangent but i'll finish this real quick that is half of the beauty of like the face huggers in aliens and seeing them like crawl around and what they actually did was they reversed engineered it so they pulled them backwards instead of propelling them forwards Mm -hmm. and so everything is shot in reverse and then that way the face hugger looks like it's coming at them but it's actually coming away from and it actually looks like extra alien because it's so weird looking to see that happen exactly and like there's a lot of like beauty in movie magic because you don't know how something happened Mm -hmm. and as soon as you tell an audience hey here's will smith hey here's younger will smith and you look right at the two of them on screen at the same time, your eye and your brain is looking for the fallacy and it's yeah. going to find it. And that's the same thing with the Robert Nero Irishman thing, which apparently like I read some headline audiences are saying it's, it's one of Scorsese's best films. And I'm just like, ah, Ooh, okay. I, I guess. Right. I'm ooh, trying not ooh. to get too hyped on that, but that does sound yeah. pretty, it sounds pretty great. And apparently like it, it's, it's pretty fucking seamless, which I'm like, okay, great. That's fine with me. We've been like, aging up the, actors all, and aging down trailers, actors all the with makeup trailers. and stuff. I haven't haven't sold me on it so well you're I don't know. Inside. yeah while we're talking I, about trailers okay. i finally saw the tenant trailer the tenant 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 i don't the know new what chris that is nolan film oh i call him chris okay, okay. yeah no that's fine looks that's good. what all his friends call him yeah there's a new uh, chris nolan film it's uh next year it's coming out it's called tenant okay it's uh yeah. it's got a uh washington the younger in it 
<laughs> is it is it a uh, 1717 that's coming out the Sam Mendes film uh apparently like the news broke Oh that 1917 all- that looks yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah that it's all shot as one. So, is it? Yeah. Yeah that's that's a no. <laughs> Wait is it one take that's kind of what it is? It's a continuous one take. I just oh, read that no, a little that earlier so today. Good to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm into all of that. Like, I, like that's, that's, that's clearly like a filmmaker jerking off onto the screen. But like, as someone that watches a lot of movies, I'm like, oh, give me more of that, please. Like, just, just break up some of this monotony of what I usually see. Right. right? I, I think that it can work very well. I haven't seen Victoria. That's fun. I enjoyed that one. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of done with Louis C.K., so maybe maybe I don't want anybody to jerk off on the screen in front of me. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, <laughs> A little late, Michael. <laughs> One-shot movies that I have enjoyed. Uh, Silent House, I thought, was a pretty fun little genre exercise. Mm-hmm. And um, the Russian Ark was a, a, a transfixing piece of entertainment. Was the, the Holocaust one? Son of Saul. Was that all one take? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that was that was just like Birdman. That was kind of wipes and stuff like that, where they just kind of move around. But but that film was also uh, that film was also like a shot behind the the main character's perspective. So that was a little bit different. It it was was like almost felt video gamey. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. The movie sucks ass. Ugh. Yeah, you and I weirdly were just talking about that. Yeah, I, I think you would love that one. <laughs> I actually kind of liked it. Tenet yeah. looks great. I have no idea what it is, but I tell you, there's something about the way that Nolan shoots and and the way that he gets his cinematographers to light and stuff. And just the way that, I mean, like, I don't know. It's just well, like a I great class. He works with the best. Yeah, so. I mean, and it's got, again, it's got John David Washington in it. Nice. He's just not my guy, but I'll, you don't I'll like see You John it. David Washington? No, N- Nolan. Oh, okay. I was about to say. No, I, I like John David Washington. He's yeah. He's he's been on my radar for a bit. Great and ballers. Uh, I, sure. <laughs> Is Michael All still right, with us? It sounded like he cut off. Uh, let's let's go ahead and wait. I think yeah, Michael's legitimately gone. No, no, he's he was on mic. He he apparently spazzed out. So yeah. Yeah, I think me bringing <laughs> Michael. I think me bringing up ballers temporarily disconnected you. <laughs> All right, let's let's go. Yeah, ahead we gotta wrap, and wrap up because now that we've when, gone when, down when, a hole talking about trailers, when we and John start David mentioning Washington. ballers, I think it's I think it's a good time to shut this. First thing of all, down. it's always a great time to talk about ballers. Um, <laughs> Wait, do you legitimately watch ballers? I like. Okay, I feel like I've talked about this on this episode <laughs> yeah, on this program. It. I I I have started. Two or th- no, just two times I've started trying to watch Ballers, right? Because I was like, you know, it's got The Rock in it. He's a guy I like. John David Washington's in it. And like, there are aspects of that show that I really like and that I find very interesting. And then it's all the other stuff that I just can't get through. Like, yeah. The like, show has, yeah. it's about a former football player who is a financial advisor now. And basically, he was hired by the firm just to like help tap into the market of like rich assholes who make a lot of money. And he, but he actually is like, look, I've seen this game destroy people's lives and like guys who, you know, have to retire by 29 and they've pissed all their money away on cars. Like, you know, and so I want to help these people. Like, this is a thing that's important, but like, you know, it's almost like high flying bird, but with tits, you know, but like, 
and also no brains. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> but like again, I I just keep feeling like you know there's there's actors in this show that I enjoy. You know, it's thirty minutes long. It's breezy. You know, it's not like watching an entire episode of Succession or something. But like I just can't. Despite all the reasons I want to be able to get into it for like pointless sugary fluff with just a small touch of thoughtfulness, I just can't do it. Harold and Maude, 1971. <laughs> Directed by Hal Ashby. Uh, any final thoughts on this movie before we wrap up? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I Let's just let's put a positive uh, spin on this at the end. I, I mean, I understand why this is as influential and as uh, you know, well regarded as it is, even as it sounds like it, it didn't exactly land that way for any of us. But right again, you know, like I, I found this to be an amusing, you know, fun and and you know, historically relevant as shit, like yeah. little little movie to watch. But like, um, you know, it's it's just the, I wish that it had landed the literal central pairing of Harold and Maude a little better. You know, because yeah. when you have a movie that's just two of the characters' names, you know, whether it's X versus Sever, Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw, you know, Starsky and Hutch, Tango and Cash. Keep keep going. Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> I can't. There have to be more, right? Deja and Vu. De- yeah, you know, Detective Deja and Detective Vu. Sorry, it's not. It's really not. (laughs) How are we not coming up with them? I don't know, Brian. You have photographic memory. I do not. (laughs) Bill does not. I do have the best memory on this show. I feel like that's. Yeah. I mean, I pulled X versus Sever. I feel like I'm pretty much done. (laughs) Scraping the bottom of the barrel. I feel like there's a bunch of really dumb ones, too, where it's like two famous people's names. But like, I keep wanting to say like, oh, Freud and Young. But it's like, oh, no, that's a dangerous method. It's like Tesla and Edison. No, that's the current war. Yeah, this is going to this is going to annoy me now. Anyway, um, we're wrapping up. Email us. Tweet us different movies that involve just two of the characters names either joined by an and or a versus, you know, Batman versus Superman, uh, Ford V Ferrari, Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. Batman and Robin. <laughs> Whenever you have that, you know, that's the, th- that's the central thing. That's what you really got to focus on. Bill, and, we're not um, leaving until you say one, the life aquatic <laughs> with Steve Zissou, you know, cause that's about Steve Zissou and life in the sea. Do you have like a specific one you're waiting for me to remember? No, Bill just left, which I find funny. Oh, I think he says he's trying to reconnect, but it's not working. So, um, let's let's just give him a minute and try to remember <laughs> some more. <laughs> okay, um, Fosse Verdun. That's an FX show. Yes, it it is. Uh, Dharma and Greg uh, Turner and Hooch. Ooh, Turner Hooch. That's a good one. Uh, Dharma and Greg's a good one too. I'm just gonna throw that in there. You're um, not editing any of this, by the way. <laughs> no, this is all staying in. We gotta, we gotta make the recording at least uh, as long as the movie, which means we have to do this for another seven minutes. Okay. Uh, da-dee, 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 da. 
The ghost in the darkness. <laughs> sure. The ghost in the darkness. There's the two uh-huh. lions. There's the ghost and the darkness. And their Freddy brotherly bond. What was that? Freddy versus Jason. Oh, Freddy, Freddy, versus Freddy versus Jason. Jason. I can't talk. Holy shit. Um... I feel like this should be easier, and yet somehow I am just having the worst time. Movies with two names. Yeah. What, what, what do I get? More Marilyn and me. I... Does that count? Yeah. Oh man, that movie sucks ass too. <laughs> Bob and Ted and Alice and Carol. <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yep. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh. Oh damn! I was gonna say Jay Wayne and Garth, Silent but Bob. that's Wayne's girl, Wayne's world. Um, Jay, Jay and Silent Silent Bob. Bob. Yeah. I, I somehow I, this is this is a, a torment that was subjected that I'm being subjected to. I am going to be writing about the sequel to Jay and Silent Bob. Oh god! So why? listeners can expect that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck! I can't think of any more. And uh, people are going to start sending me some, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna be mad at me. Um. All right, if Bill doesn't come back in one minute, we're wrapping up with Adam because <laughs> we can't, we can't sustain this. I don't even know how to like Google this, you know? Movies with two names. <laughs> but then it's just going to give me like, did you know that Jaws was called Devilfish in like Belgium? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, okay, that works. Yeah. Uh, Fun with Uh, Dick and Jane. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. (laughs) That's not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, Marley and and Me. Okay, Marley and Me, Mary and Max. Milo and Otis. Uh, Milo and Otis. Yep. Uh, list of movies with two in the title ranked <laughs> so what is your favorite movie with with two characters names like their top 10 of that <laughs> no it's literally just movies with two in the title <laughs> which kind of two t-o t-o-o T-W-O. T-W-O, okay. Um, John Wick Chapter 2. <laughs> two guns, Bill, clearly. Where are you? <laughs> We're giving up. Bill, Bill, I know, you know, Bill's on the, the Slack channel and he's on Twitter at CableBFG. There, I did it. I did it for him. Nice. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta wrap this up. We can't keep this going. I, I would agree. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's over. So, <laughs> we we really ground down on this one. I apologize to everyone who's still listening. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Go to patreoncom show to give us your money. Uh, once again, this is one dollar an episode. You get access to our Slack channel, so you can, you can tell us how dumb this fucking was. And then, um, what else? What other stuff? Uh, you could go to movie.com slash show for your free thirty trial of movie. Uh, they've currently got the whole A Bread Factory duology there. Uh, Lords of Salem is also playing Cecil B. Demented. It's got Ken Loach, Sweet 16, and my name is Joe. 
as well as a bunch of other stuff uh, like uh, what you talked about yesterday, Michael, uh, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, and what you talked about yeah. previous to that, which is Startup by David McKenzie. Yeah. Thank you again to Paloma uh, as well for recommending Harold and Maude to us. Yes. Uh, I, uh, please, I hope if, we... you, if you're still alive out there <laughs> and still listening to us, please, you know, write in. Let us know if we did justice to this movie. Uh, we'd love to hear more of your thoughts as well um i'm gonna it. feel really bad if she died it's been <sighs> long enough uh, paloma I, I hope you <laughs> didn't die but okay <laughs> we're pulling for you paloma you can make it <laughs> mubi.com slash film stage uh for free why does time. anybody listen to <laughs> someone on twitter today like answered the like one of those like viral tweet questions that you're supposed to quote tweet and answer and it was like what's your favorite uh podcaster and he's like oh so many and he named like a bunch of good people and then put me and you on it and i like tweeted him yeah. back did not tag keep any of those people tagged in it. and i was like uh i i disagree that i belong on this list but i'm glad that you think i do uh, so thanks to that guy uh i'm not gonna put him on blast you know who you are um because i'm apparently one of your favorite podcasters Okay, it's over. Uh, once again, Bill Graham can be found on Twitter at CableBFG and, of course, uh, in the Slack channel where we mix it up with our fine patrons. Michael Snydell, what about yourself? You can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell Letterbox. Uh, and um, I'm going to tentatively say that I think we will be back with another Civ podcast this year um, with, uh, with Max O'Connell, who we did it last time. And maybe other Chicago people who I can rope into it at the last exact minute. So <laughs> let's see if that happens. And uh, of course, you can find my writing and my work at my personal site, BrianJerone.com. Uh, you can find other stuff that I've written at filmstage.com. You can find me on every single possible social media thing at Brian J. Rowan. TikTok? Ooh, you know, I thought about getting on TikTok. <laughs> no! Just because I was like, there's a girl in my office who's obsessed with TikTok. And then I started following the Twitter feed, uh, Cursed TikToks. And so I Wait, almost started one just so I could like, you know, just take a like a picture of my cat and just put ominous music over it. <laughs> and just see like if I could get viral fame doing the dumbest shit possible. But I still haven't mustered the courage to just like click that fucking button to download it yet. You know, because I feel like it's almost like if I, I'm 32. I live in a college town. Like, if there was a college party happening next door and, like, the people came over and were like, hey, you know, we know you have a daughter. We've seen you. Um, we just want to let you know there's a party. And then one of them's like, and if you want to come over, like, you totally can. And then I would just be, like, nervous the entire time because I'd be like, that guy might, like, his friends might be yelling at him. Like, if I show up, it's going to be awkward, right? Like, I'm going to be that creepy old guy at a college party. Yeah, no. That's how I feel about TikTok. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Reese Witherspoon's on it. Are you as cool as Reese Witherspoon? Fuck no. <laughs> she wrote like a, a memoir that's a cookbook called like Whiskey in a Teacup or something. I'm not cool enough to even think of that name, let alone pull it off. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon rules and I am not as good as her. I am. I feel no compunction about saying that. I believe that to be true. Anyway, I don't know why we were having so much trouble ending this. Uh, thank you for joining us for this classic episode. Another classic episode should be incoming soon, hopefully. Uh, other than that, join us next time for a regular episode when we will be talking about Todd Phillips's Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix. Ladies and gentlemen, thank Who's you so much. Who? What? Who's starring who? Joaquin Phoenix. 
thought you said something else. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> We're, it's over. It's over. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. You know that there are. You know that there are. You know that there are. <laughs> we, went, we went so long on that I was worried that the song was going to stop playing and I just started all over again. <laughs>